I'm going to give you just 24 hours to straighten out. Get rid of that bottle and get rid of the crazy obsession that you're battling a dummy. Frank, he's alive. Well, he's not a dummy. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope uh, that you guys found the vaccine for cancer from a white guy wandering around Mexico and then befriended him and all is well in the world. Yeah. I realized we were two weeks early. That would have been a great Easter episode. <laughs> the coming of Our, Jesus Williams. And, what, what, and what, we're what, so close to like Cinco de Mayo, too. It would have been like an Easter Cinco de Mayo <laughs> crossover episode. <laughs> That would, have, that would have been amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So before we get into this episode, which is season three, episode 33, <clears throat> The Dummy, uh, I just want to mention, I was reading on the internets because it's what I do. There was someone wrote like an opinion piece because it's the internet uh, about the new Twilight Zone. Uh, and they said after three episodes, they're just, they're, they're just not like whatever by it because they said it will never match like the excellence of the original series. And I bring this up to you, Kevin, and to our listeners, because one, it's three episodes, and two, <laughs> did they watch the original series of The Twilight Zone? Not that not that I'm going to knock this, because it's why we do this show and why we love it, uh, and this episode we're about to talk about is awesome, uh, spoiler alert, I just feel like that's the easy thing to say, like, well, it's never going to match Sterling's output. There, there's not been enough to judge it by, and also, did you see all his output? That's my question. Yeah. Yeah, like obviously, I, it, there's very few things that are going to match the high points that this original series had. But I mean, I'm I'm convinced that these first three episodes were definitely better than the Mighty Casey. <laughs> <laughs> so his his opinion piece is already uh, rendered invalid because uh, I mean maybe he loves the Mighty Casey. Maybe he thinks everything is a masterpiece on the show. But from what we've seen. This show isn't always the the untouchable classic that we thought it was. So, yeah, I, I think people are a little too quick to judge this new Jordan Peele series because we've been digging it. One of the other complaints levied against so far is that Peele hasn't written or directed any of the episodes. And I don't really feel that that's a negative either because he's producing it. He's the host. He's the one that's been bringing like, you know, making sure that the people that are making the episodes are involved. And I almost feel like had Serling not signed the contract that he did to produce all the episodes that he did as well, like writing wise, he probably would have been okay with being like, it's okay if other people come and write scripts. I feel like he would have been much more open to a writer's room if he wasn't con under contract to, to do it. So I don't really, I don't get that argument either. 
Yeah. Now, I, I, I didn't look through the rest of the episodes. Are there any written or directed by Jordan Peele? I don't know. It's hard. Like, right now, I I don't know. There's not a lot of great information about what's coming other than stuff people were cast in things and there were episode titles. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we'll talk about uh, when we cover um, the, the third episode replay for our Patreon subscribers. Wink, wink. All you guys should join. Uh, that... When these episodes come out, sometimes the IMDb information is a little weird, so it's hard to track down exactly what's going on. And I think CBS is doing that on purpose, so that not all the the um, the spoilers are not all the surprises are ruined. So yeah. it's hard to, to to know what's coming, other than you saw people were cast for things. Yeah, because I see some of them are just it looks like names that they just dropped in there. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, some of them don't even have who wrote it yet. <laughs> up there so maybe maybe some of the later episodes or something maybe they're holding the jordan peele ones till then but yeah i i don't mind and he's definitely handpicking stories that i feel like he's into for the season like especially replay seems something very in line with uh jordan peele's sensibilities of his last two films so it feels like it feels like it would be a good companion piece for discussion to get out and we'll and we'll talk about replay. Sure. Yeah, if you guys want to hear that discussion, you should join the Patreon, which we will then pimp later in the episode as well. But I just wanted to mention that there's all these hot takes, and then I, I found like a Facebook thing that I, I had to defend it, saying you know I love the Twilight Zone, but I think people are putting on rose colored glasses. And it's funny because I mentioned the Mighty Casey, I mentioned uh, the whole truth, and I mentioned um, oh. I think something from this season, because there's plenty to pick from from season three. <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, the lows are kind of low. Uh, I mean, last week's episode, yeah. I would say the three new episodes of Jordan Peele series are better than last week's. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think people are quick. It's easy to um, to not water down is not the right word, but to like we've we talk about this repeatedly on the show that when people think of the twilight zone, they think of episodes like the dummy. They think of the, 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 the highs are so high that they think that the whole series is this. And it's easy to think that when that's all you're shown. Uh, so I, I think people were quick to do that. And the other, the other big lash backlash on this is that I don't want to pay for another streaming service, which I understand that, but don't come on and like crap all over something just because you don't want to pay for it. Yeah, if just because you, you don't like the platform it's on. If you like, if you, like, you, you can't yeah. judge the art by, yeah. I mean, necessarily where it's streaming, uh, how it was released, and everything. Like you, I, you have the right as a consumer not to spend your money like on those things, and, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, and I yeah. was I was kind of putting my place on something similar with like uh, WWE has like a million programs now, like in ring content, and uh, I was complaining the one time that there's just too much content and people <laughs> kind of put me in their place. They're like, listen to what you're saying right now. You're complaining that there is too much content to pick from. I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like they're not forcing me to watch it. Like it's just, uh, I'm choosing to do it. So it's, it's the same thing. Like if you don't want to watch it, just don't sign up for it, whatever. But don't dismiss the series because you don't want to pay for CBS all access. It's weird. Well, I mean, but the, and I totally understand. I'm paying for so many streaming services as right now I, on yeah. top of cable because I need Monday Night Raw. <laughs> so I pay an ungodly amount of money to watch terrible wrestling once a week. <laughs> well, why don't you just cut the cable and then watch it on Hulu the next day? Or is that just too, no, too late for no, you? I, I need my Monday. <laughs> like, that's. 
my Monday at work, all I think about is coming home and turning my brain off and dying on the couch watching Monday Night Raw. But it's just like, so I totally understand. Like, it's it's rough. Like, I I'm I I was relieved when Filmstruck shut down, um, but then Criterion announced that they're releasing a Criterion app that I think just like launched this week. Uh, so I'm like, oh great. I lost Filmstruck, but probably going to sign up for the Criterion channel now. <laughs> and then there's Disney Plus, which I know that is not of interest to you. Well, I actually, no, that's not true. Well, the Mandalorian. Yeah, now yeah. it is because yeah. uh, they cast Gina Carano in the Boba Fett series. So I guess I'm getting Disney Plus now or whatever it is. So I, I guess the thing for people, it's like, well, I'm not paying for that. It's like, are you the same people that are borrowing HBO passwords to watch Game of Thrones? Or are you the people? Because <laughs> I, I did that for yeah. a couple seasons, but we, you know, it's one of those things that it was so unreliable because I was using someone else's password and HBO got smart about it that we just succumb and we pay for it. And mission accomplished. And I don't regret it. But if you're if your thing is that I can't pay, you know, ten dollars or less a month to watch the thing that I'm interested in, I I'm not gonna tell you you're wrong about that. However, you could sign up for a month or two and watch what you want and then unsubscribe and still get all the content you want without feeling like you're connected for an entire year. So I don't, I feel like paying 20 bucks, like maybe at the end of the twilight zone run for like a month or two to watch it all. I think that's like a very small price to pay to watch something that you're interested in. Yeah. Well, I'm doing it with that, uh, Cinemax show warrior. Um, so I, I thought I ended up having all the movie channels, but it was just a free week or something. <laughs> so I I had started taping the series Warrior. So now I had to sign up for the Cinemax streaming thing, which is like 10 bucks a month. Oh, I'm man. like, well, I guess I'll have this until Warrior's over. Can I have your password so I can watch it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. Yeah. I just, I just thought it was worthy of discussion yeah. because of the initial hot takes and people's reasons. And yes, the first three episodes have been, have been worthy of discussion, uh, of the new twilight zone. And if people are this negative about it, it's going to be frustrating to me that their negativity isn't because the quality of the product, other than the one person saying that Sterling did it better. And I'm like, I will give you the whole truth and raise you a shot and arrow in the air. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever it, it's, it's an anthology series. Like people hold a black mirror and black mirror is worthy of being upheld, but there's a couple clunkers in there and that's you get what you get it's an anthology and maybe an idea works maybe it doesn't you move on to the next one and be happy that it exists like i feel like a world with new twilight zone with new voices and new directors and you know is it's it's a good world to be in so why would you be so ready to tear it down yeah and we've already seen in these first three that that, that pendulum as we've talked about is swinging wildly um it, it, every episode has kind of felt a little bit different. Oh, so, and, yeah. And, and it, I, it, spoiler, I've seen the fourth one and it, it's different than the other three. So, yeah. And, so, and I mean, if you don't like the one that was on last week, uh, guarantee that next week's will be totally different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right. I don't know. So, but that, yeah, yeah. D- definitely, definitely check out the new series if you haven't. And uh, if you want to hear us talk about it, head over to patreon.com slash strange highways. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, now we're going to rewind the clock, go back to the sixties and talk about the original series where Rod was superior in all, in all aspects. Uh, then, you know, whatever, uh, season three, episode 33, the dummy air date, May 4th, 1962, number one film, the man who shot Liberty Valance, just wonderful film. You guys should watch that. Uh, number one song soldier boy by the Shirelles. 
Um, sorry, you were going to say something about the man who shot Liberty Valance? No, I just said, yep, that's okay. a great film. <laughs> you guys should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I didn't find anything for the air date of May 4th, but I found, as is tradition with this show, a horrible thing and then a funny thing. So oh, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just let you know the, the horrible things first. So you're not thinking, Paul, that's not funny at all. May 3rd. So the day before this, uh, also my birthday. <laughs> so, well, this, you're going to associate this now from now on May 3rd, 1962, the, uh, Mikawashima train crash killed 160 people in Japan and the collision involving three separate trains near Tokyo, uh, engineer Norofumi, uh, Minanaki, uh, Mina Kami, I'm, I apologize, uh, drove a freight train through a red signal and sideswiped a computer train. That's bad. This is worse. As survivor surviving passengers climbed out of that train, a third train ran through them and then plunged over an embankment. Oh my God. That is horrible. Yeah. That's, that's awful. So I'm glad I way to ruin my birthday. (laughs) Like next time your birthday come around, I'm just going to be like, we can't celebrate today. And I want to remind you of this. Uh, so, Weirdly enough, my uh, parents were just on a bullet train in uh, Japan. So yesterday. (laughs) Well, I'm sure safety uh, regulations have have gotten a lot better since then. Uh, So what happened the day after this episode, May 6th, this is a callback to an earlier thing that we did. The National Bowling League rolled its last game with the Detroit Thunderbirds defeating the Twin City Skippers 27 to 15, which again, I don't understand the scoring to sweep the best of five uh, series World Series of Bowling for the first and only National Bowling League Championship. So, congratulations 50 years later to the Detroit Thunderbirds. You did it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, we had that hockey conversation a few uh yeah, a few episodes ago or maybe it was last week. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, congrats to the Columbus uh, Blue Jackets. It was awesome. Do you even know how big that is in terms of them sweeping the the Tampa Bay Lightning? The Tampa Bay actually. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they were it, they won what award this year? The president the, uh, cups. Something. President president's cup. award. Yeah, yeah the president cup, which is like for the like most like wins in the season. They were tied for the most wins in the season for any team, and they were like heavily favored. And then Columbus swept them like four zero, and it's the first time that like this like big of like a David and Goliath thing. Even though people say Columbus is actually better, just because Tampa did so well that Columbus doesn't look as good, but they, whatever, like they swept them and that's crazy. Like Ohio team did good. So congratulations, blue jackets. Yeah, I know. I know sports isn't our forte on the show, but, uh, I, I definitely want to bring it up cause I actually watched a sports game. So did you watch exciting. one of the, I didn't watch any of the games I, and I'm the hockey fan. Think about I that. watched I watched the fourth one just because I wanted <laughs> to see him sweep them. I just wanted to be there for the victory, you know. <laughs> well, so did you like like the last like minute and a half where it was just like empty net goal? Oh, empty just net empty goal. net empty goal. Net, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. It was such an insult to injury. It, it was, was great. it was all right. the backbreaker. <laughs> yes. So all right, enough about enough about current sports news. Let's get back to the '60s, where um, we know the Detroit Thunderbirds defeated the Twin Cities Skippers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll jump into cast and crew here. Um, this episode was directed by a uh, a new director we haven't talked about before, Abner Bieberman, or Bieberman. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced. Eventually shortened um, it to Bieber is what happened. Yeah, this is the first of four episodes that uh, he'll be directing. Um, had a lot more credits as an actor, and eventually into the like 
late fifties, sixties, he transitioned over into a uh, TV director. So a lot of work. Um, but for our sake, uh, four twilight zone episodes. Yeah. All I had for him. And it, this is unfortunate. Cause I feel like he had a pretty big career in terms of like what he did. Uh, he, he acted in 1943's the leopard man, which was like an earlier, like, like proto slasher. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. It was covered on our, our friend, uh, El Goro's talk without rhythm, 31 days of Halloween, I believe this past year. So that's the only reason why the name stuck out to me. Nice. Um, so this episode was written by Rod Serling. At least the teleplay was. It was based on a uh, story by Lee Polk. Not a short story, just a uh, basically just a quick outline. Uh, Lee Polk was a TV writer uh, slash executive, I guess. Uh, not quite sure what his role was on the network, but he came up with this idea about a uh, a ventriloquist dummy that was coming alive during a set like during a comedy set. And that was pretty much all he gave him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there was anything else in the book, uh, no, about like, the outline. He, that he, he gave worked him, to, he worked but, at a station like in New York and he like, like upstate New York. And he submitted this to, to Sterling cause he was a fan and, and he, Sterling, as we know, he, he does, he doesn't really take fan submissions all that often, but this is one that caught his attention and he made sure to, to get uh Polk story credit. So he doesn't, the only other thing that um, Polk had credit for is he wrote an episode of kids incorporated. If you remember that from like PBS, like in the eighties, you probably don't. It was a no. terrible, terrible PBS kid show. Um, so yeah, this guy doesn't have much. He has like, more producing credits than the writing credits. Yeah. But it, there's also some talk about um, a film. I actually haven't seen everyone's been telling me I need to get to it. dead of night from 1945. Mm -hmm. There's a segment with a ventriloquist dummy. There's talks about a lot of the ideas and stuff taken from that for this episode, but it's uncredited. Um, so uh, you can kind of see the genesis of this episode between this idea from this, uh, this TV writer executive and that short from dead of night, uh, coming together for this episode. Yeah. And this would eventually inspire uh goosebumps with the evil dummy, right? I don't know. I just... Yeah. Night of the living dummy. Is that what it was called? <laughs> I sure. I never read it, but that feels well, you're going to get to that TV show soon after you finish, uh, all of the, are you afraid of the dark? So you better no, get ready. No, no. I, my wife will turn around and be like, I bought the entire box set of goosebumps. And I'm like, why? And then I'll have to watch it. And show yeah. It. So, yeah. I'm thinking uh, Dead of Night is something maybe after uh, we finish season three here, that might be a nice mid-season break to cover that one. That would be great. We'll be down for that. And then yeah. um, what was the the Matheson one with? Um, oh, you you talk about it. it's the it's the oh, anthology with Karen Black trilogy yeah. of terror. There you go. That might be something to visit too. Yeah, I, I'd love to do that and uh, uh, kind of go back and compare Prey to the Invaders. At some point, and just kind of like uh, look at look at the invaders one more time after watching Prey again with you, because yeah. I think it would be an interesting conversation just to see where Matheson kind of updates the story. Yeah, I'd be down for that. That'd be great. Yeah, so maybe we'll do that in Dead of Night. But I definitely need to get Dead of Night crossed off my my list here. I like that we got to encounter with the unknown before we got to Dead of Night. That was important. I know it, it was very important. <laughs> we needed to bring that to the people. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so cast, we have Cliff Robertson as Jerry Etherson. 
who we previously talked about on season two, episode 23, a hundred years over the rim. Um, and if I recall your favorite part of that episode, yeah, he was great in that. And I loved his top hat and there was some yeah. amazing cinematography and then a weird run up a mountain or sorry, run up a hillside with sand that didn't make any sense, but he was great at it. And you could tell he really committed to the character. And I'm, I was really happy to see him again. And he's um, awesome in this episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great to have him back. Then we have Frank Sutton who plays Frank. Um, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, but he is most well known for his role as Sergeant Carter in Gomer Pyle. So if people are a fan of that series, they will recognize him. And, and credit to my wife. We were watching it and she's like, he's from uh, Gomer Pyle. I'm like, sure. And she pulled it up on the phone and showed me. So it's not often <laughs> that she calls out somebody it's like specific. Uh, so credit that she found that. And I wasn't aware. Um, also, he was in Marty, the best picture that was with Ernest Borgnine. I didn't write down the year, uh, but I think that's worthy of noting because it was a best picture and he was in it and had a significant role in it. Definitely. Yeah. I, I never really watched Gomer Pyle. So that was, I, but I figure if you're watching this and you did, you would definitely pick up on it because he's one of the major roles in that show. Um, next up we have George Murdoch who plays Willie and uh, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, but he did appear in one episode of the night gallery um, just a few notes for him. I took down. He was in the Mac and Willie Dynamite, two great black exploitation films. Um, you might be able to speak to this more. He plays God in Star Trek Five. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the movie that Bill Shatner pulled his. There's a weird contract thing that he had that uh, anything that um, Leonard Nimoy could do, he had to do as well. Since it's Nimoy directed the Voyage Home, he's like, "Well, I want to direct a film," and so they they let him do Star Trek Five. And it, it's, I've not seen it in forever. I watched it like as a teenager from all accounts, it's one of the worst of the star Trek films and yeah, he finds God and that's, you know, whatever. Sure. But I like that Bill Shatner's like, I'll direct a movie. It's like, do you really even know how to, doesn't matter. Spock got to do it. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, uh, I guess God looks like George Murdoch, <laughs> which is kind of terrifying. So there is another Star Trek connection with George, George Murdoch. He played a, um, a Borg and the next generation two-parter episode called the best of both worlds, which is a really, really cool two-parter that has Jean-Luc Picard becoming liquidus, uh, like one of the leaders of the Borg. And it was a cool episode. And they actually did like a, like a, a fathom events thing where they showed both parts in the theater. And we, oh, so we went to go see it. It was like, what are we going to see next generation, like episodes in the theater? So it was a lot of fun and it's, it's some cool episodes. That's pretty cool. Um, might have one more star Trek reference coming up here. So we have John Harmon who plays Georgie and, uh, he, he was in one other episode of the twilight zone. He was in one episode of the Westinghouse Desilu playhouse. Um, he was in two episodes of the original Star Trek series. I don't know if you were familiar with the ones that he was in. I didn't even note it. I was so blown no. away by uh, best of both worlds and didn't realize that this guy was God previously. So I didn't look up John Harmon that much Just saw he yep. did a lot of TV work. Yeah. Well, his last role was a uh, film. I bought this Blu-ray like two years ago. Now I still haven't gotten around to watch it, but his last credit was microwave massacre. In 1983, <laughs> so Arrow actually put the Blu-ray out of it. Oh wow! So I I found it for like five bucks at a uh, Cinema Wasteland a few years ago, and I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. Whatever. 
era blu-ray for five dollars i'm in like i want to um, believe it's a slasher film but i also want to believe that microwave massacre is just when you didn't take the lid off of something properly in the microwave <laughs> yeah i think it's much more disgusting than that but <laughs> i haven't gotten around to it but apparently it was john Harmon's last role <laughs> um next up this one was very exciting for me we have uh sandra sandy warner who plays noreen in this um, she was previously in the episode A Nice Place to Visit in an uncredited role. So we probably didn't talk about her at the time. Um, but two things I had in my notes. She was in Point Blank with Lee Marvin, which I'm a big fan of that film. But every time she popped on screen, I was like, she looks so familiar. And I kept digging through her filmography, digging through her filmography. There's nothing really that, you know, outside of Point, uh, point Blank that was catching my eye is why I would have recognized her. Turns out, she was known as the Exotica Girl. And if you guys know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like tiki culture and all that. She was the girl on the front of pretty much every Exotica Martin Denny album in the 50s and 60s. So I, I have all of those in the basement, usually one on display constantly in the tiki bar. Um, so if you go in my basement any given day, there's a different album cover with her face uh, and her modeling on the cover of it. Uh, I, I saw that. I wasn't sure. Like I, I saw that in the notes, like about her, like when I was taking notes and I didn't know how to approach that. And that makes sense. And also it sounds like you're doing an open invitation to anybody listening to the show to come to your basement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a pretty nice tiki bar. It is a pretty nice uh, tiki bar. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I just thought it was funny. It's like, I look at her every day. Like as I go down to the basement to do laundry, I pass by her. Like I see her. It was weird when it was just like, she looks really familiar. It was just like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Explain it. it. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a nice, uh, uh, mixing of two worlds here. Yeah. It just shows like how far the twilight zone, you know, infects everything. Not infects, not the right word, but affects everything. That's cool. Yeah. So you guys, uh, this Halloween, if we do another live video show, we'll uh, do it from the updated Tiki bar. So you guys, Maybe we'll catch a glimpse of Sandy Warner. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That sounds way more provocative than it's actually going to be. Can we just have like one of us parade by the camera holding above her head like a ring girl <laughs> at a boxing match? <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be great. Um, so two more I have notes for here. We have Ralph Manza, who plays the doorkeeper. Um, only original Twilight Zone episode he was in, but he was in one episode of the 1980 series and one episode of Night Gallery. Um, the only other note I wrote down was uh, Godzilla in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually remember the scene. He's like the old fisherman when they first, I think, catch a glimpse of Godzilla. Well, aren't there like there's two guys on the edge of the pier and they, they're like fishing and then like something happens where all things in movies where like the, the fishing rod like pulls the reel all the way out and it's like spinning something yeah, like yeah. that, right? Yeah, it's something like that when they first first catch a glimpse. So, but yeah, that was Ralph Manza hmm. from this episode. Terrible movie, but uh, he was in it. So so soundtrack, but yeah, terrible movie. <laughs> I, I don't know about so so. Well, well, I mean, like, there's some good songs on the, the soundtrack. I think there's like some, like, like the P Diddy no, Led Zeppelin not, mashup. Not, <laughs> no, not that. I'm talking uh, the Wallflowers cover of Heroes is really good. Uh, the okay. Foo Fighters uh, A320 is really good. Uh, ben Folds 5 song Air is really good. Deeper Underground yeah. by Jamiroquai. You don't think I know this. I do. So these are all. There's some, it's all right. There's I, some decent I, stuff in there. I uh, Weird confession right now. I keep 
uh, Batman Forever soundtrack in my car at all times. Well, because you got to so, have some. Uh, is that the one with Seal? Is yes, that a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's got it's got the offspring covering damn smash it up that's awesome well and then the youtube got some, song uh, flaming lips it's got yeah the youtube song i can i can take it or leave it but uh, <laughs> well come on hold me thrill me kiss me kill me right you got to do that <laughs> i don't know what's I, do, I do love that seal song i always said one day i'm gonna do a country cover of that so and that we'll will see. be your ticket to stardom yeah I like it, it might be it, it could be, be. People, people are suckers for country covers of like, of like pop songs. So you should get on that now and it will be a license to print money. Cause if you read those lyrics or listen, I know we're getting way off track here. Um, is it kiss from a rose kiss by a rose? I, I think it's kiss by a rose on the gray. I think that's the, the title. Yeah. If you listen to those lyrics there, it's, it's a country song. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I agree. You should do that and make your money. All right. So last thing I have notes for um, outside of Seal, uh, we have <laughs> Edie Williams as Chorus Girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was kind of a character in Hollywood. Uh, didn't do way too much, but she was married to Russ Meyer, who directed Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, a um, bunch of those like sexploitation movies from the 60s, 70s. Um, big fan of Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. Uh, she ended up being in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls which is also a great one. Um, ended up going on doing some questionable stuff like Chained Heat, the <laughs> Girls in Prison movie. Went on to do a bunch of softcore porn and all that. Uh, a lot of skin and Mac stuff. Um, but yeah, she would show up at like the Academy Awards and just wear like the most revealing, ridiculous <laughs> outfits, apparently. And just everybody knew her just from... Like showing up as a train wreck on the red carpet. (laughs) (laughs) So I can appreciate that. I love it. You would expect nothing less uh, from the ex-wife of Russ Meyer. (laughs) I just want to note that one of her film credits is from 1985's Snatch Master 6. I I had to write that down. It's just like, do I have to watch the other five to know what's going on if I watch the sixth one? (laughs) Yeah, she's got some, uh, there's some choice titles in there. Um, (laughs) What was the other one? Bad Girls from Mars, Doctor Alien is a good one. Um, nudity required. <laughs> Some good stuff. Yeah, that's so. that's that's the sign I have on my uh, my house. Like I'm always, <laughs> just like when you enter the front yeah, door, I'm like nudity required. I feel like that's appropriate. I put it on my mailbox. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'd say yeah, that's. I think that's all we have for cast and crew. Yeah. So let's let uh, Sterling take it away and let's talk about this episode in proper. You're watching a ventriloquist named Jerry Etherson, a voice thrower par excellence. His alter ego sitting atop his lap is a brass stick of kindling with a sobriquet Willie. In a moment, Mr. Etherson and his knotty pine partner will be booked into one of the out-of-the-way bistros, that small, dark, intimate place known as the Twilight Zone. If you're going to have a ventriloquist dummy named Willie that sits in your lap, I think that's a bad call. That's, I'm just saying yeah. that. I, I mean, that's half the joke, right? <laughs> but uh, how many takes do you think it took Serling to do that intro? That was a that was a twisty intro. That was a twisty intro. Uh, it's also one of my favorite intros in the season so far, though. In terms of his arrival into the episode, I I clapped. I did like a golf clap when it first appeared on the screen. I was so happy to see him where he was in the episode. It's great, and then. Uh, there's a there's a picture, a still shot on the IMDb page of his intro, and 
it's paused on the funniest face of Serling. He's got like his lip curled under his top teeth. <laughs> he's got this like squinty look with his eyebrows raised. Like I, I don't know how to describe the look, but it cracks me up every time. I have to look this up. I don't, I, I looked at it. I'm sure. Cause I did research for this episode, right? We had to learn about, uh, yeah, Snatch when I, six. Okay. When I brought the episode up on my phone, it was the main picture I saw. But if you go to it on the <laughs> site, it's like the third picture. And so if you're listening at home, go check it out. It's it's oh, hysterical. That's spectacular. That that is not the one I captured for the episode, but I definitely got a, a picture <laughs> of Serling. Uh, no, actually it's pretty close. So you guys are gonna see that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was gonna say his face is kind of like that. He's he's got that giddiness in this episode, which made me excited because I knew we were in for something good. <laughs> oh, it's funny, it's almost exactly the same frame. So that's uh, you know, um I don't know, and smart minds think alike, and then there's me. Uh that's that's a great look though for Serling. I yeah, well let's we'll we'll get to him in a second. I, I just let's just get into the episode because I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, well, I guess go to the Facebook and uh, check out that picture of Serling. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have posted here in a, a day or two, I'm sure. Yeah, so the episode starts up in this uh, this club, this comedy club, I guess you can call it. Um, it but so he's a Jerry. We're introduced to Jerry with his ventriloquist doll or dummy, uh, Willie, and he's doing his whole his whole act and everything. It's it's going over real well with the crowd. Um, so. As they're doing a crowd reaction shot, you get the pan over, and Serling's actually sitting at one of the tables. I went outside. back. I went it back was, early in the episode to see if he actually was there in the crowd shot originally, which would have been amazing, and he's not. Sadly, yeah. Even when they do a wide shot a little bit later on, um, he's not there either. I d- I did the same thing. <laughs> Oh. No, it's great. But I love there's like this like kind of crane shot coming at the beginning that you talked about that. That and and then like the space of the comedy club, something about that felt like season one to me. And I, I I hate like categorizing the Twilight Zone seasons, but we've been seeing some you know budgetary issues or just like uh, exhaustion with some of the scripts. This felt like it felt like a shot in the arm. Like we're going to get something here, and I I was really excited just from the very beginning of the episode. Yeah, now I, I was excited because. Uh you can see a lot of influence on the new series on the first episode mm-hmm. with the comedian with Kamel Najani. Um, I was just excited cause that was fresh in my mind. So watching this and seeing something else that kind of takes place at a comedy club um, and some of the shots being similar, obviously uh, a little bit smoother, a um, little bit weirder in the newer series, but um, you, you can definitely see that they took a little influence from the way this episode was shot. Yeah, for sure. I, it, it also knowing that, um, I, that the laughter that you hear in this episode, like they were, uh, they were going to use can laughter, like already from like a sitcom. Uh, but then they decided that didn't sound right with the type of comedy that was going on. So they actually brought in people to like to record laughter specifically for this episode. And it feels better. Uh, so you can tell that there was, um, uh, th- that they paid attention, uh, which is great because I feel like the laughter in the comedian wasn't canned, but it was all brought out for jokes that weren't funny. While I feel like some of the jokes in this were kind of funny, I, some of yeah. them maybe, kind of, yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of, yeah, 
Makes me wonder what oh. they made the audience do to make them laugh, like like in the fifties where, or sorry, the sixties. It's like, hey guys, I need you to laugh now because you can tell when laugh is fake. You know, like laughter is fake. So it makes me really wonder what they did in that room to get the laughs that you hear in this episode. Serling just silently stood on stage and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, laugh. <laughs> He's like, listen, I'm going to bring back uh, Frisbee from a couple episodes ago. You guys better laugh at me now because you won't be laughing when he comes back out. I'm going to bring back white Jesus in Mexico from last week. <laughs> like laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his, his bit ends and he, uh, he leaves the stage and as he's leaving, he does this little bit that like, uh, the doll keeps trying to steal a spotlight as he's going through the back curtains. So he covers the, the dummy's mouth and slips through the curtains and it, he's very serious. <laughs> even after he leaves the stage of how he's covering the dummy's mouth. Um, yeah, which it, it, you find out why in a minute. So yeah, cause like he he's, gets, the, he's wandering back by the chorus girls and the thing bites him and he's just like, yeah. he's just angry cause the doll bites him. Uh, and you know, so you already know from the get go that something's wrong with, with this relationship between him and his, uh, as uh, Serling said, what was it here? His, uh, his naughty pine partner. <laughs> Oh man, that's what I refer to you as my co-host as my, my naughty pine. That's <laughs> uh, true because I mean most of my jokes are are, uh, are wooden and hollow at oh. best. Oh man, um, yeah. So he gets back to his dressing room <laughs> and you can actually see the bite mark on his finger, um, and you see in the mirror that he's looking in, the dummy is sitting staring at him. So when he turns around to look at him, the doll's head is turned away. <laughs> It's a great little bit, but it they they bit. do it all in like one shot, mm-hmm. which I was really impressed with. So after the doll's head is turned away, the camera comes down, follows him down to the bottom drawer in his dressing room, and he pulls out a bottle of whiskey. And as he raises it back up and puts it on in the mirror, you see that the doll's again sitting staring at him. Yeah, it, it's, it's great. a simple gag. Like, but it's, it's just great. this one take gag. Yeah, very simply done, but uh, super effective. But I, I like that his solution is drinking. Like you, know, like you have, you have this doll that just bit you and was making its own jokes on stage. You know what? Alcohol is the solution. Uh, so I can't, I can't fault him, but I don't know if that's going to make it any better. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so this is whenever Frank comes in and asks him about like, how do you think the show went? And they kind of like this back and forth and, I, I could never get like a good peg on Frank's character because you could tell he was kind of concerned, uh, you know, for him, like for, uh, for Jerry, but at the same time he was also kind of like, you know, but what about my money? Like I'm like, I'm banking on you to be successful and you're yeah. not. So well, yeah, you kind of get the idea that this was, that this has been going on way longer than what we're seeing. Like we're being dropped in late stage in the story, uh, between Jerry and Willie you know, and, and Frank <laughs> trying to vouch for him and everything like, so Frank is really angry from, uh, he's very combative with Jerry and everything off, uh, like right off the bat, but you get the idea that this has been going on a while. So I, I just kind of took it as like, this is, this is the boiling point with their relationship and it's, it's just, we're catching it 
It just happens to be that. So he comes off as kind of unlikable because that, but you can totally understand his mm-hmm. frustration throughout this episode. He sees the liquor and he was like, I thought you told me earlier I stick like was to drinking out of soda bottles and coffee jugs. I'm like, what the hell's a coffee jug? I didn't know what that was. <laughs> but he described their relationship as uh, 10% of you has been grief. And that's a great line. Yeah. So he's like, uh, it, they get into an argument. Um, Right after, I think I think his agent turns the doll's head or the dummy. I yeah, keep he's, calling he's, it a doll. he's manhandling uh, Willie, which that's probably not the right thing to say either. But continue. Yeah. <laughs> so Jerry's kind of upset. He's like, "I told you not to do that." So they get into this whole argument. Yeah, don't touch my Willie. Yeah, to, about touching his Willie. Um, <laughs> oh, race to the bottom. I'm sorry. Yeah. Please continue. <laughs> So they're talking about his drinking problem. He's like, you should have been the best and everything, but you just keep letting this drag you down. Um, you know why you think this doll is alive. It's because you're drinking. Like, this is causing his problems. And he's like, no, it's, he tells him it's the other way around. He's drinking because the doll is alive. <laughs> well, did he's you, drinking because of the nightmares, I think he puts it. Did you pick up on that? They they basically said that Jerry was diagnosed with schizophrenia and he was fighting against that diagnosis. Like, yeah, because they, they talk about him being on, uh, uh, going to psychiatrists and stuff mm-hmm. and being on the couch, which is funny because during this whole scene, you see Willie on the back laying on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they kind of gloss over, but he was just like, no. And he's like, he, basically he was saying like, that's what they say, but that's not what's going on. And it's actually, Willie's the one that's kind of calling the shots. And I don't know what to do about that. And you could tell, what was it? The, uh, Frank says to him, you know, something about like, you could be good, but you never will be like, it was the very devastating, like just, I, I believed in you. You could have been something, you might be, but you never will be. Yeah. So I, I love his realization. It, again, this is something. This, this might be my only problem with this episode. So as he's talking to him about this whole situation with uh, Willie being alive and all this and uh, all of his drinking problem and everything. He goes up and he's got this trunk with another <laughs> ventriloquist dummy in it and he realizes that the only way he can get rid of willie in this problem is by switching to another doll and getting rid of willie what well, i like, I'm I'm like, like frank is like how, you're gonna work up a new how, routine like this soon with this guy yeah but i'm like how how have you not thought about that already <laughs> like you've had a second dummy this whole time and like it, and like i said i got the impression that this has been going on for a long time now like how have you never thought like what if I just switch dummies or like, stop being a ventriloquist? That's a thought, you know, go do some manual labor, like find yourself, get some help. Yeah. It's just something. Well, it's, you know, it seems like he tried to get some help, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he has goofy goggles there. And uh, <laughs> so credit to uh, Cliff Robertson. He actually does the voices of Willie and goofy goggles and they sound different enough, especially Willie. Uh, and he actually mimics like the throat movements of a ventrilo- ventriloquist. So he actually doesn't do it in the episode in terms of the actual ventriloquism, but it, he sells it. And yeah, the, it looks real convincing. It, it looks real it's convincing. Really nice. But Goofy Goggles, is that the name of your character? Like that is just, I didn't like Goofy Goggles to begin with. And how the episodes end, how the episode ends, I'm kind of okay with because Goofy Goggles was kind of, kind of a, like a punk ass nerd this whole time. And I didn't like him. <laughs> 
I didn't realize you were going to have such a problem with uh, with old Goofy. <laughs> uh, he cheats on an eye test. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, so he comes up with this uh, this idea like, I'll just switch this. Um, Frank ends up calling him. He says he's self-indulgent. I think he calls him a self-indulgent sot with an overactive imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and tells him basically, you got you got 24 hours to straighten out or I'm, I'm done with you. Um, so he, he gets this new dummy, figures out a new routine. He's kind of practicing in his room. And the whole time when they were having this argument, Willie had been laying on the couch. And <laughs> as he's doing this routine, Willie's sitting up with this like arm propped up on the back of the, <laughs> it's amazing. The couch. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great the way it was before, but yeah, he's watching him work out this new routine with goofy goggles. <laughs> I like that as he's going through this, he's like, yeah, this could work. This could work. And I, there's at one point where the, um, where Willie winks at him. I forget exactly where it is in the episode, but it's just this whole thing. Yeah. It, it's right here. Cause now he's sitting up <laughs> and he turns and looks at him and there's a close up of, uh, Willie winking at him mm-hmm. and, uh, he takes the makeup mirror that's sitting on his desk and throws it at him. So right before this first commercial break, you just see Willie's creepy face in a broken mirror In a broken mirror. I mean, it's very on the nose, but it's a, it's a really cool shot. Yeah. It's a, it's a great image. Um, especially going to commercial, like after that wink, that's terrifying. Well, I like <laughs> So as you get after the commercial, you have, uh, you have him leaving the dressing room with uh, goofy goggles. And the chorus girls are all like, they come out to him. You can tell that these girls really like him. And they're like, make me talk. Just do the thing. And he's like, I don't have time for this. You know, my, my, my doll's demonic. He doesn't say that. Uh, but they're like, make make me talk, make me talk. And then as he leaves, they hear Willie talk in the dressing room. And they turn and look at him as the door's closing. And then they look at each other like, oh, he got us. It's a, yeah. it's a weird moment, but it's kind of kind of cool. Those, those girls love Willie. Yeah. Like it, it was weird. Like, <laughs> well, there was the bit when he was first leaving the stage where uh, Jerry actually did the whole like nuzzle the one dancer's neck and do the whole like thing, and it was and spun spun the head around. It was a nice. It was well, it's very sexist, but it's also kind of a like a nice moment of showing that that the 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 the, the talent gets along at this club and that they have a yeah. relationship. Yeah. So he goes out on stage and he's doing his new bit with uh, with Goofy and. Um, <laughs> Again, not the best. Ugh, he's, he's got no. this whole eye chart bit that he's doing. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's not as good as the first one. I think that's kind of the point of it. It, it sounds you like see that. it sounds like Goliath from Davy and Goliath, like the the claymation dog. You know, it sounds like. Yeah. like <laughs> well, I don't know. Like I feel like it's one of those. Like <laughs> I can't see what's going. I cheated. Like I, that's my goofy goggles impersonation. Not great, but that's what it kind of sounded like to me. Yeah, I, I I hear it. Um, so it, I I think it's meant to not be as good as his first routine, but because you get the agent uh, talking to the club owner, and the club owner's like, I don't like this. I like the other doll. Like, can he bring back the other doll? What's up with this guy? So he's he's talking about uh, how Jerry after the show, rather than coming out and drinking with the crowd and mingling, um, he just goes and locks himself in his his dressing room until his next performance. It doesn't really talk to anyone. Yeah. He called it like, so the, the owner, well, first, whenever Frank's like, it's a cute act. He's like, what's cute about it. I, I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the owner was like, he needs to come out and mingle with the crowd. He's like, it's psychological. Frankie makes people thirsty. I don't understand that statement. Yeah. I, I don't know either. 
But yeah, that's that's when he leaves the stage and you get that showgirl moment oh, with uh, sorry. goofy goggles. Yeah. yeah, you get that little uh, kiss and I, I don't even know what you call it. But yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun moment. It, it makes Jerry's character human like relatable. yeah he's human he's not just a ball of nerves and psychosis locked in his dressing room like he does have he is a human being like uh so it, it's as sexist as it may be it is uh it I mean, is a good moment i say sexist just because like he's like you know like t- touching uh, like another like coworker with a doll and making like an advance but she's also kind of wanting that as he walks by so i don't think it was like unwarranted it's just yeah. that i don't i don't think you could do that today in the workplace regardless of where you're at and be okay with it well i don't think you can bring a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> In uh, many workplaces, but <laughs> like I just go to work, be like who the, that's that's my it's my pal Goofy. Like what it's like like no talk did to you, him, talk to him did directly. You touch it? <laughs> did, did you, you want him, to touch this doll? Did, did you want the doll to kiss your neck? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, it's not me. Man. It's the doll. He wants to kiss your neck. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, he he decides like he's done. Like he's. He's gonna uh he's gonna use Goofy now for good. He locks up Willie in the trunk in the room and everything. And that's when Frank comes back in and tells him he's quitting the club and he's done. He's not gonna represent him anymore. And um they get into one more conversation about whether or not he believes him that the eventual quiz dummy is alive. Um and that's where you find out that Jerry is going to just, he's leaving town. Mm-hmm. He's leaving with goofy goggles. And he's going to start over in a different city and a different club and credit, credit to Frank. I, I love this little bit of dialogue when he's talking to him and tell him like, it doesn't matter where you go. It's going to be the same for you. Like you have to deal with this or you're never going to be able to run away from it. Yeah. Like you got to like, lick it here is what he said. And that was, yeah. it makes sense, but it's a weird statement. Uh, I yeah. also, I but also it, think that whole sentiment from, cause the first time we meet Frank, like it's just a screaming match yeah. in his dressing room. So there's, it, like I said, he's kind of unlikable from the get go in this, but the second time you see, you could tell that he does care and he wants Jerry mm-hmm. to get some help. So I don't know if it's the right plan to tell the possessed doll that you, his next booking is a fireplace and then lock him up. I don't know if that's the right plan is to tell the thing that you feel is like, you know, possibly controlling your life that you plan on destroying it. I don't, I think that's probably not the right play. Uh, yeah. Just like tell them we're going to a new comedy yeah, club we're going, and then just we're going like, to the comedy club up North. That's where we're going to the farm up North with all the other puppets. That's yeah, what you be all them. excited. And then you just throw them in the back of a garbage truck or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You got you to surprise Willie. Yeah. But then Willie starts taunting him from inside the trunk, which is like that. This is when the episode is as, as weird as it is, goes like full tilt crazy. And I love it. Well, yeah. Up until now, you, you get the idea that like this could all be in Jerry's head. You know, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not the, the doll's alive. I mean, outside of the wink, but it's still it could be him imagining things and everything. But this is when the episode just gets it insane, and I I love it. So he leaves the club, and um, he gets outside, and he's gonna have a smoke. You see some of the uh, some of the chorus girls dancing and everything, and uh, yeah, he hears Willie's voice, um, 
Willie starts laughing, which the laugh that he does is incredible for this. It's so it's so chaotic does and it, haunting. <laughs> like, we talked about this before we started recording. Doesn't it remind you of uh, Brad Dura from Child's Play, though, as Chucky? Doesn't it give you that kind of vibe with that kind of manic laughing? Yeah, for sure. And like later on, um, I don't know why it, it was it definitely doesn't. The episode doesn't remind me, but House of a Thousand Corpses. There's the scene where they're putting on the performance for all the teenagers and there's grandpa doing his comedy act and he's just doing that. Like you're going to wake up grandma, <laughs> you know, and like doing that laugh. I kept imagining like, that's all I could hear when things got like crazier and crazier at the end of this episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, like, so this whole thing, like it starts like the shadows in the back alley are great. Uh, whenever you feel like that, uh, like reality slipping away, uh, from Jerry, like the whole thing just turns Dutch angles like crazy. It, it, it is, um, it's a wonderful descent in madness with this laughter over top of it. Yeah. And you can see like at one point he sees a shadow of Willie sitting in a chair on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Noreen comes back, um, and she's leaving and he's, he's panicking. He's losing it. And he's like, Oh, I was, I was waiting for you. Like I wanted to, I wanted to go get a drink with you. I wanted to, I, 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 you're 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 a great girl like i'm, I'm trying to ask you I, he gets very handsy and very aggressive really quick he says so, i want to have a drink or a sandwich is what he says to yeah, okay <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird thing to say um so of course she's she's very put off by this and is trying to get away from him and ends up running away uh the laughing gets louder um, he's running down the the alley behind the club and you get more of the Dutch angles. It just, it's, it looks great. Like that whole exterior of the club out by the stage exit and, uh, the back alley there just is incredible looking with all the shadows. And, um, especially when he's like just standing there in his jacket, smoking that cigarette with the stage sign behind him. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved it. Like such a great setting. Just when it started getting manic, it reminded me of uh, Perchance to Dream. How it st- started to become like this nightmare, and the way he was running down the like you know the alley, going back to the back door of the club, how he was running with the Dutch angle. It looked like he was like running downhill, like and then he had to run like up the ramp. How it didn't like it doesn't look good to the eye because the camera's tilted. It just shows you his worldview, and I I really. It was it was something. It's been a while since we've had this kind of visual flair in an episode, and it was it was good to see. Yeah, and I, I think that's where you're talking about how this feels like a season one episode. That's when we were getting a lot of the like real crazy cinematography and everything. Um, and I, perchance, a dream is the perfect example of what this this looks like. Yeah, so he goes back oh. into into the the, the you know, his dressing room because Willie's taunting him, and he goes to grab Willie and you know has this confrontation and goes to smash the doll, and that's when you get like the first like the first big reveal of the episode that he didn't he didn't kill Willie he destroyed Goofy and I don't disagree with that decision, but there's yeah. there's this bit where the, the the doll smashed on the ground he picks up the glasses and it made me think of Time Enough at Last where he's looking at the tiny doll glasses raising them up and looking at them. It's like he, he had all the time in the world with the doll, but not now. Yeah. So <laughs> you see it, they pull back and there's just the smashed head of goofy goggles on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't see it coming because he had bad eyesight. Oh, man. 
<laughs> yes. So he ends up having, so Jerry's having this conversation with Willie and Willie's like, you made me real. And they he basically is like just taking the piss out of Jerry and they have this big conversation. And there's this, that final moment between the two of them where he just lowers his head while he's on his knees in front of the doll. And it is just devastating and dark. Yeah. And all, all during that, you just hear Willie laughing and it's, uh, it's, it's great. So then we get the final twist of the episode. So we come back to Jerry and Willie performing their act again on stage. And uh, you see them from behind as the act starts. And slowly it comes around and you see that they've switched places. And now the doll has Jerry's face and Jerry has uh, Willie's face. And it's. It's, it's really yeah. uncomfortable. Like I've, I have uh, up on my computer right now. I have the picture <laughs> of the Jerry <laughs> dummy staring at me and it is a nightmare. So William Tuttle came in to uh, do the special effects on this. I guess he couldn't quite figure out how to make the doll look like Jerry just to make it look uh, creepy and accurate. Um, so he went to this, uh, uh, this animator named Thornton He that apparently went by T He, which is great. Um, I mean, if you're going to work for Disney, for like yeah. Mary Melodies and uh, Warner Brothers, and yeah, he worked on Fantasia for Disney and all this. Um, they had him come in because I guess I I can kind of picture his artwork. I think he did some of the like celebrity characters that they would have on like Looney Tunes. That would make sense. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what he did. Um, so he was really good at like those celebrity characters and everything. So they brought him in to do this. And it looks like if you took one of those Looney Tune, like take like, a, I, I don't know, like a, I'm trying to think who they do, like a Frank Sinatra character on Looney Tunes or something and they, make yeah. it. They would do it like Earl realistic. Flynn. Yeah. They would do <laughs> like it, yeah. it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it is a it's, nightmare. It's so scary looking. Like, it, and even, uh, um, what's the actor's name? I'm sorry. Um, George Murdoch as like the real life. Willie is terrifying looking in this episode as well. Yeah, just, it, they did, they sold it. It looks like, it looks like Alfred E. Newman, like doing like puppetry, right? It just almost looks like it, it is so fast that I cannot imagine watching this during its original airing that you had time to register what happened and you had to be like, did I just see that? Like, that's what it felt like. And going yeah. back and watching it, it, it is still so effective. Like does, does this episode overall make the most sense? It's something. No, but it hits all these beats so well that you're like, well, all right, he's never going to be right again. And it was, it was great to have that kind of just like hammer of an ending. Yeah. And I just, I can't imagine seeing this on a broadcast and not being able to go back and see it again <laughs> and just have that burned in your mind after this episode is finished <laughs> of just that terrifying Jerry dummy just and not being able to see it for like 20 years because <laughs> I feel like it'd be the terrible game of telephone where you'd kind of forget what it looked like, but you'd still have like the smile in your head. <laughs> like, you can totally see why when you talk to people about Twilight Zone and they say like, oh, my God, that episode scared me so bad. Like you can totally understand how not having the luxury to just like press skip back 30 seconds and see it again. 
Yeah. Like just having that burned into your mind would just <laughs> would ruin you in this episode. Well, and I uh, feel but, like it was it was great because you could have ended it with him being defeated and the dummy winning with the laughter and it still would have been satisfying, but they found yeah. a way just to take it one step further, which sometimes doesn't work, but this was was very successful. Yeah, I, I feel like Serling's so good at that where he gives you something that's like, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not it's in the character's mind. Like, it could still be fake. Like, he could just be going crazy. He could just be going crazy. And then he pulls that rug out, and there's no denying <laughs> that there's something supernatural and horrifying going on. Um, you know, I, I, I love that because you're so used to the stories just kind of being like leaving it up to you to decide. And then he just pulls that out from under. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's great. Like we've seen so many. Like uh, oh, it's the plane one. Um, uh, King Nine will not return. <laughs> where the whole time you're like, maybe not the best example, but the whole time you think the guy might be going crazy. And then they end up pouring the sand out of the shoe. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. well I guess maybe I not. guess it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, this was great. And so watching this the second time through, I had I want to ask you the question. Of do you think this is what Jeff Dunham goes through like on a, like a constant basis? Like, oh, he's <laughs> he's definitely living through something with his dolls, whether it be uh, racism. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, I'm not racist. My, my dummies my, are racist. Yes, my dummies are racist. I don't say these things. They, clearly, you know, <laughs> he's not he's not living his insecurities or his fears through his uh, dummy like Jerry was. I, he's just living out his terrible worldviews. <laughs> I want to feel like he's been in his dressing room with the one that's like a pepper on a stick. And he's just been like having that moment of like doubt is like, is it just me or is it the dummy on a stick? Uh, like that was, the, I, I just want to get that was, I got real aggressive towards Jeff Dunham there. I'm sorry guys. If you're a fan, I, I'm not a Jeff Dunham fan. Well, though. if you're a fan of Jeff Dunham, then you need to uh, check out other comedy. But, Cause I feel like, like Walter was okay for a bit. And then he just started doing, I just, he fell into the whole thing that comics do when they get comfortable, where I feel like they don't evolve. And he knew what he was doing, and he just delivered on that repeatedly. And if you're if if you like safe, comfortable comedy, that's your guy. But up and coming, he was interesting, and then he just kind of plateaued out. So if you want to be aggressive towards him, I, I don't blame you at all. Yeah, and I had to bring him up because, of course, I did. It's a ventriloquist episode, right? So, yeah. How many other how many other professional ventriloquists can you name a like top of your head? Uh, zero. So, <laughs> well, actually, Sherry Lewis, who did Lamb Chop, uh, oh, okay, yeah, she, she was. She actually approached Serling about a place on like the Twilight Zone, and when she heard about this, she was trying to be like, "Well, I need to be in this," and he was like, "No, no, 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 no. Your act is too kind and too good, and you're too good at what you do to bring you into the story." So he was like, "I like you too much. I don't want you in this twisted story of a doll taking over a guy." Yeah, I, I don't want to see Lamb Chop just getting <laughs> demolished by Jerry. I want to see, see a full-size Lamb Chop with the Sherry Lewis puppet. That's what I want to see. <laughs> oh, uh, that'd be horrible. oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Or it just, <laughs> she just has the Lamb Chop face, and then Lamb Chop has her tiny face on it. Like, 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 either like, way, it's a nightmare. It would, yeah, either yeah. way is a nightmare. 
Uh, no, I I really enjoyed this episode, and it was a good. I know everybody's heard me probably rail against some of the later stuff in this season, and and I'm sure we'll have further examination of that when we get there. But it was like I was almost kind of losing hope that we wouldn't have like a perk, like like a nice like oh, good good we're in good we're we're in a good headspace. It's a good Sterling story, and it just gets weird and crazy and kind of delivers. I feel like it's been a little while since we have one of those. So this was a really nice cure for what ailed me. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm big into the horror world. So it's, uh, this is definitely, this is my bread and butter. And this, this is the stuff I was really looking forward to covering on the show. And like you said, this definitely delivered. I had seen this a long time ago. Um, but I just kind of treated this as a first time watch just cause it's been probably 20 <laughs> plus years. Um, but yeah, this, this thing, pretty much on all fronts uh, delivers. Uh, the story is fantastic. The characters are amazing. Performances are incredible, especially from Cliff Robertson. Um, it, it's a shame we it, didn't it, get more from him. I, we only got these two, and I feel yeah, like he would have been. They're both great. I, I think 100 yards uh, over the rim, or 100, 100 years yards. over the rim. Yeah, it was 100 yards um, over the rim. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a uh, that's kind of the, one of those overlooked better episodes that no one really talks about. And uh, his performance was good in that as well. But the direction in this episode was great. The writing, uh, whether or not it was kind of an amalgamation of a few different things. Uh, the teleplay was solid. Uh, I, I, I think this is Serling at his best with this. Um, the look of the dummies were uh, outside of maybe... Uh, goofy goggles, but uh, I mean, you're not you're not necessarily supposed to think anything about Goofy. No, you're episode. cheering for him to get smashed. That's really what's yeah, going on. I, I guess so. I guess that could be. Uh, uh, so, but like the yeah. look of the dummies and everything, the the makeup effects, the uh, the animation of the doll or the character that they put on there of Jerry, it's it's all just top notch. Like the the only problem I have with it is him coming to the solution of changing dolls and getting rid of the evil one. I, I just clear. Like, that's so, the he, weirdest moment. That is weird. He plays the thing so straight. And then knowing that he voiced both of those uh, dolls later, it's it. His, his performance is so committed that I feel like if he would have played it for laughs, it would not have worked as well, but he looks like a man that's just haunted and it works really good for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, like, because he looks very personable on stage, like as he's doing his act and everything. Um, but you see his demeanor change, like as soon as he goes through uh, the curtains the first time in the episode. And that's when I knew we were in for something great <laughs> was just seeing that his face change so realistically <laughs> as he gets back out of uh, the public eye. It's it's fantastic. All right, so are you ready for some trivia about the episode that involves Cliff Robertson? Or uh, definitely, okay, let's do it. So when he was scheduled for this episode, they actually had got him a flight to come out on a Friday, but based upon like his knowing how like you know TV works and everything, he was like he knew he wouldn't need to be on set till like Monday, so he canceled the flight. And his agent was like, "That's probably not a good look." He's like, well, "I'm not needed out there. Why would I need to go and sit and wait for two days?" So the flight that he canceled actually ended up crashing and killing everybody on board. Oh my God. So he said that, you know, his decision there actually saved his life. And can you imagine 
that like being in the back of your head where you're like, you know, good thing I decided to take the weekend on the East Coast. Now I get to go play a haunted man that a dummy's talking to me. But that's crazy that he, we have some of these near misses with like talking about things like, uh, what was it? The director of the purple Testament. And, um, like they had that, that plane crash that actually happened right yeah. before the air date. Yeah. So it's, you know, it has happened, but like he literally made the, like he called the decision of like, you know what? I know how this works. I'm good till Monday. And that saved his life. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, outside of what you already talked about, about the doll being uh, sculpted, the, the the later one by Mr. Teehee, and then also the can <laughs> laughter. I have, I have no other like other trivia about the episode other than this was, this was great. And that's not trivia, but you can put it on IMDb where like Paul found this, this episode. Great. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just happy. It lives up to the hype of this being one of the better episodes. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, especially with the serve man being this season, being like one of the points that people bring up as like one of the best of season three. And both of us just kind of we're like, what? Just kind of being OK with it. It was kind of a letdown uh, after getting excited for one of the like <laughs> the high marks for the season. Um, I was happy that this one actually lived up to the hype still of uh, everyone talking about this as being one of the greats. Hmm. Yeah. So, all right. I, I guess we'll just rate the twist and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. So I have two twist ratings. One that the dummy was evil. That's a one that they would trade places. That's a five. Yeah, for sure. This twist is, uh, you get the idea that something is going to happen. Uh, I, I didn't, it's, of course, I've seen the episode, so I knew how how it was going to end. But I was trying to put myself kind of back in the uh, the mindset of watching it for the first time. Like, there's no way you would ever guess that they were going to have a Jerry dummy at the end of this episode. Yeah. Like it it it's a nightmare. It 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 works so well, and it's it's almost impossible to see that thing coming. I love it. Yeah, it was great. And I, you're right. I did not see that coming. And the first time I watched it, I was like, what just happened? So that's, that is the reaction that I think anybody should have to like, to this episode. That's like 50 years old. Like if it's still making you question reality at the end, that's a good episode. Like I, I just, this was a, a lot of fun. And again, I keep saying it, but this, this restores my faith and what's coming. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We we still got a few more uh, uh, better regarded episodes for the season. Mm-hmm. I think we only have about four episodes left in season three. Yeah, you're right. We only have four left, I think, because I think it ends at 37 and this was 33. So yeah. simple math yeah. that I can't do. Um, so, th- yeah, that's going <laughs> to that's going to wrap it up for the dummy. Um, so before we get to the next episode that we're doing, Kevin, how can people find us? Oh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, you can email us or leave us voicemails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're available pretty much everywhere podcasts are found, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Satchel, Podbean. Um, look us up if you haven't subscribed to us already. Uh, please do so. And if you would rate and review us on whatever podcatcher or platform that you listen on, um, it would definitely help us out. Absolutely. And also you guys can check us out. I know we talked about this earlier, but I want to say it again, patreon.com slash strange highways. Uh, you can support us there, uh, because there's the current 
uh, Twilight Zone going on that some people are just not happy with after three episodes. But uh, just as low as $1, you can like, support us and you have access to our commentary on the first two episodes. And we're about to do another episode for the third one called Replay, which will be an interesting conversation. But $1 gets you into our Where Is Everybody? Uh, that accesses all of our t- detours. Uh, $5 uh, lets you into our five characters in search of an exit, where it gives you access to the detours that we do. And you can pick an anthology episode of anything other than The Twilight Zone for us to cover. Um, Kevin doesn't know this, but some people have reached out to me for some of that. So you're going to be uh, happy with some of the stuff that's been picked. You don't know about this. It's, it's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, you, you don't know about it. I'll tell you later. Uh, I like, I like keeping you in suspense, uh, at $10, you can join the 16 millimeter shrine where you have access to the detours and you can pick an anthology film, uh, to cover on the show and you can come on with us and talk about that film. Um, and also we will send you a framed photo of Hyperion, the important British racehorse that, uh, when he died, Everybody was upset. It seemed to be the same day as one of the episodes of the Twilight Zone that I cannot remember, but it's been a great joke going forward. So we'll send you a picture of a horse. You can talk to us about an episode and all that great stuff. Yep. Um, Yeah. Like you said, we're going to be covering uh, replay tonight. So if you uh, join up, that should be available by the time you listen to this. Yeah. So next episode of the original series that we're covering is called Young Man's Fancy, and I'll <clears throat> go through Sterling's intro here. Doesn't doesn't veer into cigarettes, so just to disappoint people here. Oh. <laughs> well, he had a good he had some good product placement in this episode <laughs> with his cigarette, so, so he with, didn't didn't need to do it twice. So this like so some of the Twilight Zone was actually shown on PBS at times, like later. I don't know why that was, but that's cool. And they would try to like cut away, cut out of the cigarette stuff in the episode. So they wouldn't deter people from like, like they're like, Oh, he's smoking. That's cool. So there's like these weird edits of the episode where they were trying to hide him smoking out there. <laughs> um, that wasn't really great trivia. That's why I didn't write it down, but that's why I'm telling you now. Uh, so next episode we have is young man's fancy <clears throat> next week through the good offices of Mr. Richard Ma- Matheson. We tell you a story of a young man's fancy, which is kind of a euphemistic description of a mortal combat between the living and and the dead between the present and the past between Miss Phyllis Thaxter and Mr. Alex nickel. The battleground is this old house and its front door will be open to you next week on the twilight zone with Bob Vila. Cause it's this old house. I don't, I don't think he's in the episode though, but yeah, this is the second time that Sterling has used the term mortal combat. The third time. I think third. We found, yeah. Okay. Cause it was in, um, Oh, the, the, the thing about machines. And then it was in an earlier episode as well. So I think he said the words Mortal Kombat multiple times. Nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this this week. Uh, have a great week. Um, I, I don't know. Um, have a hobby. But if the hobby starts actually talking on your behalf, maybe don't do that. Yeah. And uh, have a good holiday. I think it's Easter Sunday this weekend. So if you're listening and you celebrate Easter, have a good holiday weekend.